civil rights movement. Rosa Parks said that she was thinking about Emmett um, when she sat at the back of the bus and, and re, or at the front of the bus and refused to get up, which I think is a part of history that we miss. We learn yeah. a lot about Rosa Parks, but it wasn't even until I started really um, researching Emmett Till that I realized that she made the connection um, with, with Emmett, that she was just tired. She was tired of how uh, blacks were being treated and that there was no justice and she was not gonna move. Welcome, you're listening to World Footprints. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. You've just heard a clip from our interview with Shana Martin, Director of Training and Professional Development at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis, who walked us through an exhibit about the brutal murder of Emmett Till and the courage of his mother, Mamie Till Mobley, to let the world see his face. Emmett Till was just a 14-year-old child when in 1955, white supremacists in the Jim Crow South kidnapped, tortured, and murdered him. They tried to cover it up. Emmett's mother, Mamie, insisted that the world know what they did to her son. She bravely shared her child's disfigured face and the story of his brutal murder with all who would listen. Her act fueled a movement that changed the nation. Emmett Till and Maybe Till Mobley, Let the World See, is a touring exhibit created in collaboration with the Emmett Till and Maybe Till Mobley Institute, the Emmett Till Interpretive Center, the Till Family, and the Children's Museum of Indianapolis. While the black community is heralding the movie that has brought the story of Emmett Till to life, many still remember the picture of his disfigured face in his open coffin that Jet Magazine published. So how is it that an exhibit about this haunting and unspeakable event finds its way into a children's museum? So this came about, our current CEO and president um, actually became aware of the historical markers that were being placed in Mississippi um, that helped show where parts of uh, Emmett's story happened. Um, those historical signs were being vandalized, they were being shot up, they were being thrown in the river. She found out about those historical markers and wanted to know what was happening with them, what was being done with them, um, because we are an object-based learning institution. So long story short, it led to a conversation with the Emmett Till Interpretive Center in Mississippi, um, us obtaining one of the historical markers for our permanent collection, and then the other one will travel with the exhibit. And that's the conversation started, and we ended with um, what I consider a, a very beautiful exhibit and an opportunity to really raise awareness and tell the story about Emmett Till and his mother. So, so can we go through? Sure. The exhibit tells five key stories. Emmett's personal story, how the brave actions of Emmett's mom, maybe Till Mobley, fueled the civil rights movement, how a community and family have worked to keep Emmett's memory alive, how the vandalized historical marker connects us to today, how we can commit to social justice in our own communities. Conversations about Emmett Till's murder seem to peak in 2022. The movie Till was released, a documentary about Emmett Till was produced, and now this traveling exhibit that launched in the Children's Museum of Indianapolis. So I asked Shana if there was any significance to 2022 in the Till story. 
I don't think on our end there was a specific time frame in mind. Again, all of this I think kind of um, came about organically and the timing just happened that there were all of these other things happening as well. And so it is perfect timing that we're able to bring this exhibit at the same time that there's also lots of other um, ways that Emmett's story is being told so that more people have an opportunity both from our you know youngest visitors all the way up to older people who don't know and aren't aware, aware of Emmett's story. Wow, I can't imagine anyone who doesn't know this story. You would be surprised. There are a lot of people who uh, don't know the story or didn't know the story until we started talking about it or until we opened this exhibit. So the name of the exhibit is Emmett Till and Mamie Till Mobley, Let the World See. Um, and this is the entry panel that just tells a, a little bit about what the exhibit is about and also has a warning so that families are aware that the exhibit contains um, some graphic information. Uh, it contains information about racially motivated violence. Um, so those so they are, are aware and have an opportunity to choose whether or not they want to bring their children into the exhibit. Mm -hmm. And it is recommended for uh, children that are ages 10 and older. And then the rest of the exhibit really is a progression of Emmett's story. And so kind of walks uh, families through um, how Emmett's story came to be. So we start with his life in Chicago, um, normalizing him as a kid. He was 14 years old. He loved to ride his bike. He loved spending time with family. He was an only child, um, kind of the, uh, you know, the apple of his mother's eye and his grandmother's. Mamie warned Emmett that life in Mississippi's Jim Crow South was very different from life in Chicago. And his mother was very much of, you know, she was worried um, and scared to send him to Mississippi. But in those times, um, you, we probably both have family that may have lived in the South at one time. And during the Great Migration, families moved from Mississippi up north. Um, so there were a lot of Emmett's family that was still in Mississippi. And so it was pretty common for uh, family members living in the north to send their kids down or to go visit um, Mississippi in the, in the summertime to spend time. So kind of like part of their summer vacation. Um, would be spent in Mississippi. And so that's how Emmett was able to go visit um, his cousin, who was also his best friend, Wheeler Parker, was going to visit for, the, for some time during the summer. And so Emmett convinced his mom to let him go. At the beginning of the exhibit, there's a suitcase with a video depicting life in Mississippi and a reflection of train tracks on the floor representing Emmett's train journey. This um, just talks a little bit about um, what life was like in Mississippi then. So, um, you know, a little bit of what life was like for Emmett in Chicago, but the transition to what life was like in Mississippi in the 1950s. So about the Jim Crow laws um, and about Emmett's you know, mother having conversations with him so that he would know what to expect to the extent that you can know what to expect <laughs> um, and sort of um, some guidance on how he should and should not behave when in Mississippi in order to keep himself safe. And then this is a copy of a, uh, a letter that Emmett wrote to his mom and it was the last correspondence she ever received from him. The next panel in the exhibit included an old rotary phone with a recorded message. It's funny to hear the kids say, what is that? <laughs> it's a telephone. Um, so yeah, so this uh, 
panel, this area talks about what happened um, in terms of Emmett whistling at Carolyn Bryant and um, kind of the aftermath of, of that event. And the phone, if you pick it up and listen to it, it is, Doc, it is Reverend Wheeler Parker um, talking about what happened because he, again, was an eyewitness. He was at the store. Um, he was also there the night that Emmett was, was kidnapped. You're listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that illuminates our common humanity and uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Support World Footprints by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. This will help other like-minded and interested travelers find us. Also, Please join the World Footprints community by subscribing to our newsletter from worldfootprints.com. A quiet snow globe of pain I want to shake. While the flakes fall like ash, we race the train to reach the place Emmett Till last whistled or smiled or did nothing. Poet Kevin Young. Here's more of our conversation with Shana Martin from the Children's Museum of Indianapolis in the Emmett Till exhibit. It, it appears from the stories, from the things I've read in the accounts that Emmett, um, you know, was known as being a, a jokester and he had a, um, you know, was kind of lighthearted and really always wanted to make people laugh and kind of be the center of attention um, without understanding and recognizing what that really meant in terms of his, his actions down there. So yes, all of the other kids were very well aware that what happened um, was going was gonna to end up causing Emmett some trouble, uh, but not necessarily imagined what, what, what the end result was. Um, and so next we have, uh, you know, that talks about the incident, um, the kidnapping and the murder. And then this area talks about Emmett's mom's decision to have an open casket um, and how and what that meant um, and, and what happened as a result of her having an open casket. So which is why it's kind of titled, you know, Emmett's funeral, the world watched. Um, and then um, the interactive in this area, one of the areas uh, actually has the photo of Emmett's um, decomposed body. So families, there are warning labels um, and families have the choice to look at the Jet magazine. So at the time, um, black media outlets, you know, really published the story, talked about it. They showed the photos, whereas white media outlets did not. Mm-hmm. And they actually talked about when I was visiting Mississippi, how um, people in Mississippi weren't aware of what was happening because the media outlets in Mississippi were not talking about this and weren't sharing this story. So people in Chicago very were very well aware of Emmett's story, but folks who actually lived in, in Mississippi were not. When do they become aware? You know? I, um, I think there are some people who still are not aware that live in Mississippi. <laughs> um, and the history books, teach the story and tell it in a much different way than how we're presenting it it here. Um, And even you can tell the difference between the Jet Magazine and then Look Magazine is the magazine that uh, Roy Bryant and J.W. Milam um, kind of confessed and shared their story of what happened um, in very, very different accounts. And there are actually um, footage and photos from the funeral. So families have an opportunity to look at that. They said over 100,000 people um, witnessed his, his body because they had it on display for three days, I believe. Wow. Yep. 
Our tour of the exhibit took us to an area that focused on the criminal trial. So it raises awareness about the fact that it was, you know, an all-white, all-male jury, um, that they only deliberated for 67 minutes. Uh, and, and a part of that story includes them um, asking for coke and kind of hanging out uh, to make it seem like it was taking longer for them to make the decision than what it really took for them to do. People of color and women were not allowed to vote at that time, and in order to be chosen for a jury, you had to be able to vote. In this same exhibit area, there was an interactive feature that offers a glimpse into the activities during the trial. There was a sketch artist that was in um, during the trial, and so um, families can, can click on the different sketches and learn about what was happening during that part of the trial. They can see who, was, um, who the witnesses were, what the testimony was, so it kind of digs in a little deeper uh, about the various aspects of the trial. Although it was a given, I asked about witness tampering and other efforts to sabotage the outcome of the trial. There were actually, um, there was <laughs> actually no attempt to find any witnesses at all from the sheriff and the authorities that were involved. So no attempt to find witnesses. Um, members of the NAACP actually went undercover and discovered some witnesses that came forth. Um, there were actually two gentlemen that we, they later found out, um, had been placed in jail in a different county under different names so that they could not be located to be able to testify because they were eyewitnesses as to what happened as well. This area talks about how Mamie's actions to have an open casket um, to let the world see what had happened to her son really did help to um, kind of, you know, fuel and spark the civil rights movement. Uh, the civil rights movement had actually started in the 1940s, but it was really her actions that led to what became known as the Till Generation, um, which were young people who sat at the whites only lunch counters, who marched in protest, um, your John Lewis's, you know, people that, you know, I've grown up knowing as part of the civil rights movement. Rosa Parks said that she was thinking about Emmett um, when she sat at the back of the bus and, and re or at the front of the bus and refused to get up, which I think is a part of history that we miss. We learn yes. a lot about Rosa Parks, but it wasn't even until I started really um, researching Emmett Till that I realized that she made the connection mm -hmm. um, with, with Emmett, that she was just tired. She was tired of how uh, blacks were being treated and that there was no justice and she was not gonna move. This area talks about uh, Tallahatchie County and the community specifically where Emmett's story took place. Um, and it talks about a lot about the historical marker and how that became a symbol after 50 years, this community finally came together to acknowledge what had happened, to apologize to the Till family in a very public ceremony. Um, and then they started um, putting up the historical markers. And as you can see, the historical markers have been shot up. Uh, they've been picked up and thrown in the river uh, and the community has continued to replace them over and over and over again um, as a sign that they're not going to, you know, they're going to continue to tell the truth about what happened, but it's also a sign to the rest of us that there continues to be, you know, racial hate and violence and discrimination um, and prejudice and, and all of that and that this cannot be ignored. As we were ending our tour of the exhibit, we stopped to listen to a narration of Emmett's story. This is the, what we refer to as a, a sound and light show, which um, really is kind of, I would say, a, a, mini, a mini movie 
that really sort of sums up the story. Um, so particularly for kids and families who may not be interested in reading all of this or maybe new to the story, um, actually for our school groups, we have them start here because it really does give an overview of Emmett's story and what happened. It talks about the historical markers, um, sort of defines, you know, racial violence, um, et cetera. And it's about eight to nine minutes long. Despite the intense of the darkness in Mississippi's weird, the awful truth about me is murder. Maybe to demand to have her son return to her in Chicago. After seeing what they've done to her only child, maybe insisted on holding Cassie. Yes, it's a it's a heavy one for sure. And so we have an opportunity and talk a lot. I mean, a lot of our exhibits um, that tell difficult stories, we want people to leave thinking about how they can make a difference or make a change or do something that creates, you know, uh, for, the, for us, it's all about Mamie's ripple for justice. And so um, we talk a little bit about how to be a change maker. So by providing support, raising your voice, changing the system, sharing your vision, sharing the truth, and then identify what that looked like in connection with Emmett's story. Um, and then talk a little bit more in our facilitated programs and in uh, the Ripple for Justice Interactive to ask kids and families, like, how can they be a change maker? What is something they can do in their own community, whether that's at home or in school, or um, to be able to kind of keep Mamie's Ripple for Justice going. There were a lot of new things I learned about the Emmett Till story as we walked through it. For example, uh, Rosa Parks and how Emmett Till's death influenced her decision not to get up out of her seat. And, you know, certainly uh, how the NAACP had undercover operatives trying to find witnesses uh, for the trial. I mean, there were a lot of interesting things that came out of this exhibit, and I'm excited uh, for it to tour the country. Given the pain associated with this story, the curation of this exhibit for children had a take on a different uh approach. Right. I mean, they were very, very careful. They, the Children's Museum worked in uh, concert with the Emmett Till Foundation and other uh, people who have worked very hard to keep Mamie Till Mobley's story alive uh, and to share the, the full narrative of the story in a respectful manner. And so I think it's very valuable to show, uh, to teach this history because, as I mentioned, I didn't learn the story of Emmett Till whilst in school. And, you know, it's, I think it's a good lesson. I think it's an important piece of history for uh, people to learn and, and know about today. Author Timothy B. Tyson wrote in The Blood of Emmett Till, because if we in America have reached the point in our desperate culture where we must murder children no matter for what reason or what color, we don't deserve to survive and probably won't. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're very happy that you joined us for this, this conversation. And it would mean a lot to us if you could leave a five-star review on Amazon and, and just continue to support the work that we're doing here on World Footprints. 
We'd love for you to join our community, so please subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter from our website at worldfootprints.com. Our newsletter is full of travel news, tips, and resources, including our favorite links. Thank you so much for your support and for giving us the space to share the world through the stories we offer on World Footprints, even the hard stories. Until next time, commit to choosing love. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tonya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes, and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.